There is only one person in whom righteousness and peace embrace and kiss, and that is in our Lord Jesus Christ. The, uh, we, we are shown the right anger of God against sin in Jesus Christ, but we are also given peace through Jesus Christ as he has paid the penalty for all who believe in him, the penalty against sin. Uh, today we're going to be working our way through another portion of the Gospel of Luke. And we'll be continuing in the Gospel of Luke until, uh, until Good Friday and Easter Monday. And so in connection with this portion of the passage, uh, this portion of the Gospel of Luke, we'll continue looking at the life of Jesus and we will be looking at what he says about the Sabbath day in Luke chapter 6, verses 1 to 11. So in connection with that, we'll be looking at a bit of the background of the Sabbath day as we find it in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 12 to 15. You'll be able to find that on page 208 of your pew Bible. Here God tells his people, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servants, nor your female servants, nor your ox, nor your donkey, nor any of your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. And remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Now we'll move ahead to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 6, and we'll be reading the verses 1 to 11. And you'll be able to find that on page 1186 of your pew Bible. Now it happened on the second Sabbath after the first that he went through the grain fields and his disciples plucked the heads of grain and ate them, rubbing them in their hands. And some of the Pharisees said to them, why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? But Jesus answering them said, have you not even read this, what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he went into the house of God took and ate the showbread, and also gave some to those with him, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat. And he said to them, The Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. Now it happened on another Sabbath also that he entered the synagogue and taught. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. So the scribes and the Pharisees watched him closely, whether he would heal on the Sabbath, that they might find an accusation against him. But he knew their thoughts and said to the man who had the withered hand, Arise and stand here. And he arose and stood. Then Jesus said to them, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy And when he had looked around at them all, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he did so. 
and his hand was restored as whole as the other. But they were filled with rage, and they discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. So far, the word of God. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, why do you worship? Somebody comes up to you on the street, or maybe a, a coworker is curious about your weekend. A friend from the community wants to know what you did today. Your employer wants to know why you're not available. A classmate wants to know why, from their perspective, you subject yourself to a Sunday service, not once, but twice on a Sunday. Why do you worship? Why is your worship meaningful to you? Are you willing to sacrifice other things for worship? And why? Recently, Pastor Wang Yi, the pastor of the Early Rain Covenant Church in China was arrested and he was sentenced to nine years in prison. His congregants who were expecting this had split into several small groups and they had been training leaders of these small groups that had separated into various house churches. The idea was that these leaders would be trained in the gospel so that when uh, Pastor Yi was made to disappear, or when elders of the church would disappear, then they would be able to continue in worshiping together. Worship was and is important to them. Important enough for them to risk arrest and to continue meeting together in secret. Because worship is more than just listening to a sermon. Worship is praising God, and it's recognizing what he has given us in Christ. Freedom from slavery. Freedom to live to his glory. This brings us to our theme and points. Why do you worship? Your worship is an expression of freedom. And secondly, your your freedom affects those who are around you. There are very clearly things in God's word which God allows and which God does not allow. In addition to these things, there are things which we sometimes take upon ourselves, take on ourselves for, for reasons to, to discipline ourselves, to grow in different areas in which we see ourselves weak. This also can apply to the Lord's day. There are ways in which we can choose to set aside the Lord's day. When the Lord says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, from family to family, we find ways in which we not only do what God has called us to do on the Sabbath day, but we set it aside as special from the rest of the week. And this can look different from family to family. There are ways in which parts of these choices we can also pass down to our children, and this can be a real blessing. 
encouraging our children to live intentionally on the Sunday, focusing on the fact that we are taking a day not to focus on, on ourselves, not to focus on our own pursuits, but devoting it to the worship of God. This can help in setting the frame of mind for children for a lifetime. And that's a beautiful thing. This is why many families have traditions that they carry out on Sundays. They, they make it a special day in certain ways that are unique to their family so that their children are mindful for the reason of why they do and don't do things. And boys and girls, while you're at home, make the most of this opportunity. Yes, there might be things that you might do differently when you yourself leave home. But take the time to understand what your parents are doing and honor your father and your mother in this. They are encouraging you to remember the Sabbath day as holy, to remember it as being set apart. They are encouraging you to remember what is important on this day of worship. And there could be no greater joy for them than to see that their children, that you boys and girls, that you also see what is important on the Sabbath day, on the Lord's day, and that you yourself want to follow in these same footsteps to bring glory to God, that what is important to them, that serving God and following God with their whole heart is also important to you. The trouble is, however, and this is something that we have to be aware of as well. The trouble that we can run into is when these traditions that were passed down through the generations become law. When these traditions go beyond what God has very clearly marked out in what we can do and cannot do. And when we begin to judge those who are around us by a standard that God doesn't use. And that's Exactly what happened to the Pharisees. They had lost sight of the answer to this question. Why do you worship? Why do you rest? Why do you set apart this day as holy? Why do you set it apart as unique? Jesus challenges the Pharisees on this question. And he doesn't challenge them directly, but he challenges them on what is important for them on this day. So, what was supposed to be important? So look at this, we need to look at the purpose of the law in the Old Testament, and to look at the Sabbath day as we find it described in Deuteronomy 5. So in the first place, with regards to the purpose of the Old Testament, in Galatians 3, the verse, verse 24, we read how the purpose of the Old Testament was always to point our eyes to Jesus Christ. The purpose of the law, it says in Galatians 3, verse 24, is to be our tutor. It's to be our teacher so that our eyes can be fixed on Jesus Christ, to bring us to Christ. Now, there's much about the Old Testament ceremonial laws that have passed away. And there are aspects of the Lord's Day that have tied into this as well. 
there are things about it that have changed. We no longer worship on the seventh day of the week, for example. Instead, we worship in the same way that New Testament believers did. Described as the Lord's Day, the first day of the week, believers in the New Testament and the church ever after gathered on this day for worship, gathered on the Sunday for worship. And you can see them worshiping in this way in, in Acts 20, verse 7, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2, Revelation 1, verse 10. But just because there is a change doesn't mean that it's not relevant anymore. We can think about the rest of the law in which the, this commandment is found. You wouldn't say that the rest of the law is no longer relevant. The rest of the Ten Commandments are no longer relevant. You wouldn't say that it's no longer relevant to say you shall not commit adultery, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not steal. And in the same way, when we look at remembering the Sabbath day, found within the rest of these laws, we do not say that it's not, we do not say that it's not relevant anymore. Again, we have to focus on how the law is our tutor and the law is our teacher to bring us to Christ. So what does that look like here in relation to this commandment? Well, we can see this especially clearly in light of how the Sunday is described in Deuteronomy 5. It's described as a day of rest and a day of deliverance. It's described as a memorial of what God has done. God had brought his people out of slavery in Egypt, and he had brought them to the promised land. He had released them. He had granted them deliverance. And in the same way, this was to be a picture for the Israelites of how God had released them from sin, how he had laid claim to them as their own, how he had delivered them from the gods of Egypt and from false worship as well. And so, this remembrance of rest, this remembrance of deliverance and of salvation reflected in a special day that was set aside for worship was meant for them. But it's not just meant for them, it's not just meant for us today. It's also meant to affect those who are around us. We'll touch, around, we'll touch down on this more in a moment, but first let's look at this in connection with Deuteronomy 5. What do we mean by that? Well, in Deuteronomy 5, it's, it's you that's supposed to rest, and it's your household that's supposed to rest, and it's your cattle that are supposed to rest. It's your slaves that are supposed to rest. So the modern-day equivalent in this particular case, your manservant and maidservant would be your employees, those who rely on you for their day-to-day support as well. But then comes the question, what about those who don't believe? What about foreigners or pagans? They're going to work anyways, right? Can't we take advantage of the fact that they're going to work anyways? Well, what do we see that God said regarding that in the Old Testament? 
God taught his people that even the foreigner who is within your gates, the foreigner who is living in your cities, even that person was supposed to experience the rest that God gave. Your worship affects them, he says to his people, by not making yourself a reason for them to work. God's grace is shown here in the fact that your freedom, that their freedom to take time for worship and rest even affects those who don't recognize him as God. And it provides them relief within that nation of Israel. It was to provide them relief for a day. Isn't that incredible? Now consider our world today. We live in a society that has as its focus materialism. Materialism is is the pursuit of things. The bottom line is the almighty dollar, saving up for a comfortable retirement, saving up for more creature comforts, for more toys, for bigger homes, for better things. Now, none of these things are bad things in and of themselves. None of these things are bad things. But when the pursuit of them takes away all rest from you, when you are working seven days a week, long hours every day in pursuit of a materialistic dream, in pursuit of things, then you become a slave to what you pursue. But when you, beloved, rest on this day, when you stop your work and you take a break, you show to the world that you have a different master. Your priorities are other in this life. And when your freedom affects them too, when your choice is not to work on Sunday or to choose not to cause them to need to work on a Sunday, even if they are already working, when you choose to declare that you are not a slave, then they too are exposed to what true freedom looks like. Because you have been given freedom in the one who is the Lord of the Sabbath. You are giving a picture of what you have received from the Lord. In the Old Testament, just as being released from slavery was a picture of release from sin, so too today, being released from sin Taking, taking the time to take a rest from our day, is, from our busy week, is a picture of a release from sin and the rest that we are granted in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ died for whoever believes in him. He gives us a promise of a better life in this world to come. A life in which we are set free not only from slavery to sin, but from the effects of sin. From pain, sorrow, misery, disease, depression, famine, war, and so much more. And so we aren't devoted to pursuing what some might call our best life now on this earth. Because we know that there is a better life that's coming 
by God's grace through Christ. And so how we choose to spend our day of worship is a reflection in light of that. We are showing the world that it's not all about this life. And because of that, we are freed to pursue not our best life now, but we are freed to pursue a kingdom life, a life devoted in service to our King, the Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus Christ. And as such, uh, such a priority brings rest and peace with it. For this reason, it's, it's not a burden to rest on the Sunday. It's not a burden to gather together in worship. It's not a burden to work in advance on Saturday to make your tasks on Sunday as minimal as possible so that your focus can be on the rest that God gives and on worshiping Him. Rather, it's a public declaration that you are not a slave. You are not a slave to this consumer culture. You're not a slave to the drive to get more things to keep up with your neighbors. You are free. And your worship, your freedom, affects those who are around you. This brings us to our second point. Your freedom affects those who are around you. It's not a burden that affects those who are around you. It's freedom that affects those who are around you. And this freedom is not something that limits itself to not working on Sunday or not causing others to work. It also involves working to free others for worship and for freedom of worship. In our Heidelberg Catechism, for example, it speaks about how, giving, how we give money to those who are in need. Lord's Day 38, giving Christian offerings to the poor. And the express purpose behind that is so that they can be freed from earthly cares, so that they can focus on worship. This can be even true for those who don't believe, the foreigner who is within your cities, those who benefit from the overflow of the gospel hope that you have, that they in some measure get relief in some measure, get a taste of this picture that you are showing to them by your lives. And this is what God teaches us today. Your worship affects those who are around you. And so this principle of bringing freedom, of bringing relief, ought to affect those who are around you too. Now, don't get me wrong here. We're not talking about a social justice gospel here. The gospel is the gospel. The focus is on Jesus Christ. And the focus must be on Jesus Christ and freedom from sin. There is salvation under no other name. And if this relief that you grant doesn't point the eyes of those who are around you, even those who do not believe around you, to Jesus Christ, then it's the equivalent of putting a band-aid on cancer. The whole point of all of this, including Sunday worship, as we saw in Galatians, is to point us to Jesus Christ. 
But in Christ, we should be looking for opportunities in which our freedom can lead to the relief and rest of others, especially those within the household of faith. With that purpose, that we can direct the eyes of those who cease from their works towards Christ. So what does all of that mean within the context of Luke 6 here? Well, Jesus immediately draws the attention to the Pharisees to what they were saying. Notice how they describe what their issue is with what the disciples are doing. They say to the disciples, why are you doing what's not lawful on the Sabbath? If you have this mental picture of what the disciples are doing, they're busy walking through a field, and as they're walking through this field, they're, they're picking off heads of grain, and they're rolling them together, and they're busy taking out what's left after the chaff kind of falls away, and they're popping it into their mouth, and it's barely even a snack. It's probably harder work than those nuts that you have to crack in order to get the center out. The thing is, that this was not work according to the law of God, but it was work according to the traditions of the elders. You see, the traditions of the elders said that once you were rubbing those things together in your hands, and the chaff was falling away, well, you, you just picked grain, you harvested You just had chaff fall away. You just threshed the grain. You just worked on the Sabbath day. That was the tradition of the elders. On the basis of what are they saying that it's not lawful? Not lawful according to whom? The law of God says nothing about rolling grain in your hands on the Sabbath to eat as a snack. It says, you shall not work because God has set you free from slavery. You shall not work because you are no longer bound to this day in, day out toil. Freedom is the focus here. When you are rolling grain between your hands, you're you're not subjecting yourself to the slavery of day in and day out harvesting and toil. They're missing the point here. You shall not work because God has set you free from slavery. Now the traditions of the Pharisees were what was running them into trouble. It was making them miss the true intention of the law. And it's good and well if you want to be intentional in how you serve God on the day of rest. But if you begin to hold up these rules to the same level of scripture, then suddenly everybody who doesn't hold up to the same standard as you becomes a rule breaker. If you miss the purpose of the law and your rules become so firm and inflexible that they can't account for special circumstances, things that fit in with the principle of God's law, then those who go past that will look like lawbreakers. This is why he points to David when he's fleeing from Saul. Jesus said, 
Have you not even read this, what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he went into the house of God, took and ate the showbread, and also gave some to those with him, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat. David, too, looked like a lawbreaker when he acted according to the true intention of what God had desired for his people. When he, in fleeing, he looking for relief, he looking for sustenance from God, came to God and asked for mercy and help from God, and he was granted it in the form of bread. Bread that normally only priests were allowed to eat according to God's law. But to preserve life, God had allowed him to eat it without condemnation. The question that can then arise is, okay, so if the Sabbath laws are that flexible, then, then am I allowed to do anything? We can do acts of necessity, Jesus points out. Things by which I preserve life. In today's world, emergency services, police, fire, other things, there are other things that fall under this as well. By their watchful care, we can flourish and meet in peace and safety for worship. We don't have to worry about danger. And our hearts can be lifted off of focusing off the cares of this world and they can be focused on the worship of God. We don't have to worry about danger, but we can rest in his care. But what else? And that's the question that follows. On another Sabbath, in, in keeping in line with what Jesus had said, keeping in mind what Jesus had said, they want to accuse him. And here Jesus shows them what lies in their hearts. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? To save life or destroy? And he brings before them this man with a withered hand. He heals the man. A man who had been, been bound in suffering and in misery all of his life long. And he does that in order to reveal to them what is in their hearts. In response to this, their hearts are filled with rage. And in their rage, they show where their hearts lie. Again, they had missed something. They had missed that it was for freedom that they had been given the Sabbath. For freedom to worship and focus on God. And in their zeal to preserve the law part of it, they had turned the focus around and placed it not on freedom, but obedience. Obedience to their additions to the law. Additions which might have been grounded in being intentional about how you worship on the Sabbath, but which grew through the generations into an iron-hard rule that would rather see this man continue to be trapped in misery than to see him granted relief. All because they had a standard which they may have originally based off of the truth in God's word, but which turned into a law that God's word itself never contained. Now obedience is important. Jesus Christ says, if you love me, you will obey what I command. 
but we're not obedient for the sake of being obedient. We're not obedient for the sake of being obedient. We are obedient because we love God and because we want to be drawn closer to him. We are obedient because we see these aspects of disobedience throwing up barriers that come up between us and God and we want to remove anything that separates us from God. We're obedient because by his grace, he is drawing us closer to him. And we strive to put anything away that creates a stumbling block in this. And so when we add things to God's word and our hearts turn cold towards our brothers and sisters in Christ and we are filled with anger against them for not doing something which God's law says nothing about or doing something which God's law says nothing about. But we have decided that this is where we stand and we are no different from the Pharisees today. Now at this point, you might be thinking of somebody else. At this point, your mind might be jumping to somebody else who is doing something or not doing something. Somebody else who is feeling this way to you because you are doing something or not doing something. But I want you, I want to challenge you today, brothers and sisters, to take your focus off of that other person and to look in your own heart. You'll find that it lies there too. That very same inclination to try and impose a standard on somebody else that God's word doesn't speak about. To let your desire to be intentional about something become law that you impose on them. And that's where Christ's words in verse 5 ring out loud and clear for all of us here today. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Not you. Not me. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus Christ is Lord. And so while we can live intentionally and while we can choose to do certain things to make the Sabbath rest special, we can do certain things to make our home more worshipful in the rest of the week. We can raise our children in a particular way. And all of these things are good things. But when we begin to lift up our own preferences to do or not to do things and our good intentions, when we lift those over others and begin to set our own standard of righteousness that is apart from God and apart from his word, and we measure others by our, that standard and our hearts begin to fill with anger when others don't live up to this standard, we are doing something wrong. We are trying to be lords. We are trying to control and there, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. The Son of Man is Lord. So, beloved of God, let's humble ourselves before God. Let's live intentionally before him, yes, and take on patterns in which we personalize our faith. Patterns of life with which other households might not do, but which we do that reflect 
that we are making this faith our own. Let's honor our parents as they set rules in the home by which they encourage us to live intentionally as well. But rather than taking away our focus from God and becoming obedient simply for the sake of obedience, let all of these things be a reason to point us to our Savior, the one who is Lord, Lord of the Sabbath. And so live in obedience to his decree to us. To rest on Sunday, to worship and to remember the freedom that he has bought for us. And where necessary, we will carry out acts of necessity and works of mercy, as Christ himself has said, in a way that reflects the true and eternal rest that our God promises is in store for us, granting relief to those who are around and never taking away our focus from him on that day, even as we are doing these things that grant relief. Remembering that he is Lord over all. Let our lives and our obedience reflect that. And where we've examined ourselves, where necessary, seek forgiveness. Where we've become enslaved to sin, where we have abused our freedom and walked into sin, humble yourselves. Come to him who offers mercy and restoration to true freedom and obedience to him. Or where we have become enslaved by our own self-righteousness, based even in good things originally, in patterns that we established or grew in, but things that we had forgotten to respect for what they intended to point us to, not giving thanks for them, but letting them be a reason for us to be stirred up to wrath. Let's humble ourselves before God and ask for forgiveness here as well. As Christ calls you and me today. And let's reflect where our hearts lie. Let our hearts, the worship of our hearts, point us to Christ, beloved. And let's seek mercy and grace in the one who forgives all of our sins. And seek a new obedience in him by the power that he supplies and to his glory. So as to make the most for this freedom that he's bought for us. And so that our freedom can affect those who are around. So that as they see us in worship, they can confess in the words of 1 Corinthians 14 verse 25. God is really among you. Amen.